2 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to open this sermon this morning, this service, with a salutation, which is a, the ending of and a benediction from, from 2 Corinthians, Paul writing to the church. But look with me if you would. It's 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. That is Paul's uh, benediction. That's how he signs off basically on this second epistle to the Corinthian church. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We see the whole Trinity here and the, lo the love of God as the Father and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. And that is a prayer, I believe, the, from the Lord for all of us that God wants us to be with Him and He wants to be with us. Communion here, the communion of the Holy Ghost, how it reads in the King James, that word means partnership or fellowship or participation. Partnership, fellowship, participation. We talked last week about the new man. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That new man, that new creation is, is uh, the Lord in us. It's His life that's now in us. It comes to dwell in the inner man. We talked about that last week. And it's what's born of God's Spirit. It's totally and completely 100% the Lord's life in us. It's not an improvement on our old life. It is a new life. And that new life where the Lord is making us, we're saved and, and we're saved as we'll ever be as soon as we give our life to Christ, but we're not as Christ-like as we'll ever be when we first give our life to Christ. Amen? We're not as mature in the Lord as we'll ever be. Praise God, we're saved as we'll ever be and fit for heaven because it's His righteousness that's robed us. But there's a lot of growing that God wants us to do and is, is working in us to do. And the growth is to make us more and more like the One who saved us. It is uh, our minds are being renewed. Let me ask you this. Since you gave your life to Jesus, however long ago it was, has your mind been renewed? Or would you say it's being renewed? Do you think the way you used to think? I pray you don't. Our mind sees things differently. We look at the news differently. We see a poor person on the street differently. We, we look at ourselves differently. We, uh, everything is different because God's Word is transforming our minds. Uh, our affections, that means our desires. And to me, that's got to be one of the biggest miracles of all. Okay? For our hearts and affections is longings and desires to change. I used to love this and hate this. And now that I'm saved, God's working in me and I love this and I hate what I used to love over here. I don't just abstain from it, sinful things. God gives me new affections and desires and longings to where that doesn't appeal to me anymore. And I see it the way God... That's, that's being changed in our lives as well. Our hearts, our affections. Um, by the being purified. Our, our affections and longings are actually being purified by the working of the Holy Ghost in us and by the blood of Jesus. Our wills, as we yield our wills to God, our will is becoming what it should be. It's being yielded over and conformed to His will. Our faith is increasing. This morning I pray that our faith increases 
as we give attention to the Word of God. That's how the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That truly, truly the believer is becoming more like the, the One who redeemed us. We're becoming more like the One, not, not just that He saved us and set us on a shelf. He saved us and He's working in us like we talked about last week to will and to do of His good pleasure. What is, what is His good pleasure? His pleasure is to work Christ in us. We become less. The Lord becomes more. You remember that little illustration I gave last week about the man melting the silver, uh, melting it in the pot. How can He tell, how can he tell when it's ready to, to work with now and to pull it out of the fire? When I can see my reflection in that silver, I know it's ready. When the Lord's looking at our lives, when He's working to see Christ in us, and He's got a long way to go with me. Amen? But He is doing it. We can see by faith He is actually doing it. And I praise God for that. For that. But y'all, in, in uh, all of what we're doing, yield it over to the Lord. He says the disciple is not above his Master, Jesus said, but everyone that is perfect or mature or complete shall be as his Master. The Lord is working in us to make us more like Jesus. And you know what God's plan in all of it is? In everything, in all of this, salvation, forgiveness of sins, a new life, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire, uh, God conforming us to His image, the fruit of the Spirit, service to God, witnessing for the Lord. All of it is, is that God wants to be with us. It's a very real desire in His heart. We see it through the whole Bible. We see it when Adam sinned in the, in the Garden of Eden. And the Lord said, Adam, where are you? Now you know and I know, we've talked about this, God knew physically where Adam was. He knows all things. He even knew that he had sinned. But the point was that relationship was not what it should have been because of sin. God's desire in all of it, His whole plan of salvation, making us more like Jesus in all of it, we begin to see God's heart and He wants us to see His heart that He desires to be with us and for men to be with Him. We just read it. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. That's why we opened with that Scripture. Because that's how Paul had closed his letter. We see it. We see that Almighty God desires to be with men. We think about this. In John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And it gets on down to verse 14 where it says, and the Word became flesh and did what? Dwelt among us. Is that not a picture? I mean, we think of the theological ramifications and all that. He came to be a sacrifice and we understand all that. But really, with the heart of God, what we're seeing in all of that, the Word became flesh. He stepped out of glory and set aside that heavenly glory. He was still God and became flesh with a weak, frail human body like ours. He humbled Himself and became obedient. Became a servant unto death. But the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. There was a relationship there. There was a, uh, in all points, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He came and dwelt among us. And this is what the Word of God says. And I just want to read uh, this Scripture from John uh, chapter 1. Where John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus in the Jordan River, and the people are asking him, 
are you the Christ or, or is it someone else? And uh, who are you? Speak of yourself. It says in John bear record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him. And that abode means to, to dwell, to remain. But that's what the Lord wants for, for us in our relationship with him. He wants us, our dwelling place to be with him. Our habitation to be with Him and His to be with us. The Holy Spirit came and descended and remained on the Lord Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, we would see the Holy Spirit come upon someone like Samson and then depart. Or Saul and then depart. Even David, you know, the Holy Spirit may come upon him and depart. But it's different now as a New Testament believer, we're born again. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us and dwells and remains. God wants that type of relationship and it really is more wonderful I think than at least than I can comprehend maybe than we can comprehend God's heart the Lord wants us to see his heart in sending his son why did you send your son why the cross why an empty cold tomb why why uh, the resurrection why a Bible that we read every day? Why uh, the prophecies foretelling certain things? You know why? Because He wants to be with us. It's all communication, living communication. The words I speak, there's spirit in their life to, to, to give us new life through repentance and salvation, through faith in Jesus and cleansing in His blood that we might be with Him. That He might be with us. And God wants us to see that. Not only does the Lord love men and desire for all men, which He does, to be saved, to be pardoned, to be justified fully by His grace. He wants that for all men. He wants it for, if there's anybody here today that is not truly born again, He wants that for your life. But what we really come to understand from the Word of God, and I would say from the witness of the Holy Ghost in our own hearts and lives, the personal knowing the Lord and walking with the Lord, speaking to our hearts and testifying to our, our hearts, is that the one true living God desires for men to be with Him. And not only in a, in a physical sense, okay, not only like in proximity. I thought about this. Okay, the Bible, doesn't the Bible say in John 14 that the Lord uh, Jesus said in my Father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place for you. There's a place in heaven for you. And so um, when, when He calls us home in the rapture or we die before then, some point we'll occupy our mansion in heaven that He has prepared for us. But it's not only that it's somewhere over there and okay, your, your neighborhood's over there. Y'all going over there. That's your place. It's not just the nearness in, in, as far as being physically near, which we will be in heaven, but it's a nearness in relationship. Because with those that have people that you love, that you're close to, family members, children, you know, uh, parents, brother, sister, spouse, you might be separated on a business trip or a mission trip halfway around the world, but that's still the person you're near to. You know what I mean? Uh, I can't wait till there's a little break in the day, like if I was on a mission trip, the end of the day, where maybe I could, uh, I could call D just for a few minutes, you know, and rack up the cell phone expenses real, you know, try to keep it down. But I wanted to call her and tell her how it went and what was going on. Because they're, even though physically we're far. So, so the Lord wants us to be near to Him, not just in His heaven one day, but He wants that relationship to be near to where there's intimacy, partnership, partnership communion, fellowship, like, uh, like the Bible speaks of. 
And so uh, he, he really gives a picture, at least in one place, the Lord gives a picture and he compares uh, a godly marriage, godly loving marriage between a man and a woman. He compares that to Christ and his church. Now, the Lord chose that symbolism or that picture, okay, of the, the comparing that. He thinks of us that way, his redeemed. That's what he wants for us. Paul said this uh, in 2 Corinthians eleven two: for I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. What is that speaking of? That's speaking of I'm his and he's mine and no one else. I'm not serving God and then a little something else. I'm married to him. He bought me with his blood. I belong to him. So one of the word <coughs> pictures or one of the descriptions that God gives is we're married to Christ. I'm not saying this is not in some perverted way. This is not just in intimacy and a close fellowship because actually of all the different relationships you have uh, friends, right? And that's phileo love. And there's, you know, children. And there's a certain love there. And these bonds are strong. And there should be. And there's love in all of them. <clears throat> but there's no relationship exactly like marriage between a husband and a wife. That relationship is unique. And that re relationship is the only one where the Lord says, I'll take two flesh and make them one. And they'll no longer be two, but they'll be one. Now, I want you to read this with me. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're talking about God desiring to be with us and all of His great plan of salvation and all of the cross and the work on the cross, He wants men to be with Him. Read this with me, if you would. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to kind of skip around. Let's read 25 through 27 right now. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. That's who He gave Himself for. That He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. That He might present, present it to Himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Skip down to verse 30. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. So it's a picture of how the Lord cherishes the church. Verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So again, it's a picture. You know, the, the, the Bible gives the description. We, we see it, and you'll probably think of more than what I just thought of when I was jotting this down. But the Word of God gives this, these different uh, pictures of the relationship between men and God. Okay, I'm talking about saved men, whether it's Old Testament or, or New Testament. It gives the, the relationship of master-servant, of Lord, Jesus being Lord and disciple of captain. He's the captain of our salvation. And we're a soldier, soldier of the, of the, of the Lord. It, his word gives a, a, the description of a shepherd and sheep. He's the good shepherd, right? And we're part of his flock. Um, the head of the church and we're the body. He's the head from which the life flows. And we're part of the, the body. And head representing his authority and life there. Uh, vine and the branches, right? I'm the vine. You're the branch. All through it, we see brothers. He calls us brothers. And then he calls us friends. Okay? He calls us friends. He calls us, uh, he's the potter and we're the clay. And he's molding us individually our lives. 
to be what He's called us to be. But none of the descriptions is so telling as, as husband and wife, so to speak. Again, don't think of it in some perverted way. Think of it in intimacy of relationship in that way. Married. Paul says, I've espoused you to one husband, to Christ. You belong to Him. One. And that's the picture that the Lord wants us. You know, He wants us to think of that, that that's the way He thinks of us in that way. When Israel sinned in the Old Testament, I think it's in Jeremiah, the Lord says, well, where's, where's the bill of my divorcement? You know, where, where can you... Where do you where did you divorce me? Or do you think that I divorced you? I've never quit being your God. I've espoused you and married you to myself. It speaks of that intimate relationship. And y'all, that intimate relationship is what the new creation is created for. It's not just to be saved. It's not just to take us to heaven, which which we're going to do, and the Lord's going to do for every believer. But this kind of intimacy is possible uh, for the saved man. It's only possible for the saved man. It can be, a lost man can be saved, but a lost man knows nothing about what we're talking about. It's just foolishness to him, right? The natural man doesn't receive these things at all. But it's possible for the man who is saved by faith in Christ and for the man who is saved by faith in Christ alone. Not only is it possible, but it's actually what the Lord is after. And I think this morning, God would just want us to see that He's after, he's after souls. He's not willing that any perish and all come to repentance. But what is He really after even in that? Why does He want somebody to repent? Well, so they don't go to hell. Why does He want, not want people to go to hell? Because He's a God of love. And I would say amen, amen, amen to all of this. But it's not just that He wants people to go to heaven instead of hell. He wants men and what He's working for, He wants men to be with Him. In fellowship with Him. And commune with Him. And, and He's working in, in to, to bring all to that. He's working to bring lost men to that. He's working to bring saved men. You and me to a closer intimacy and a fellowship with the Lord. They're everyone that He's purchased. I just want to read this Scripture to you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Don't you see that what He's, doing, what he's letting us in on Himself? He's letting us in on it, so to speak. We're not just some acquaintance that... Okay, then, then the acquaintance leaves and you say goodbye and shut the door. And then you and your wife talk and you're a lot more intimate. He's letting us into that intimacy with Him. And that is amazing. That really is amazing. I don't know that I grasp it fully. I know there's a lot more intimacy and communion and fellowship <clears throat> that I can have with God than what I have had with God. It's more than it was, but I know that there's a lot more out there that the Lord is desiring to work in all of our lives. He goes, all things that I've heard of my Father I've made known unto you. He says all things. Ye have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. We see all this about Him reaching out, going after people. And then not only once He gets to say, okay, now go serve me in that field over there. Go serve me and build this house for me over here. He's going after us to bring us unto Himself. He says, you've not chosen me, I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask of of the Father in my name, 
he may, he may give it you. And so what we see is that the fall, I mentioned Adam in the garden. That's where man fell. He's our representative. He's our perfect representative of that old man. Okay? We say, well, if I'd have been in the garden, I wouldn't have sinned. We would have. Adam represents all mankind. We would have done it. I might have done it a day before or a day after. But we would have done it. We would have disobeyed God. He is our representative. And so when Adam fell, that was the fall of man. What specifically was the fall? It wasn't eating just the fruit. It was the disobedience to God. And we understand that. And that fall, the, the, the worst thing about the fall, the most grave consequence about the fall, was that it separated men from the Lord. Not physically. God was still just as close. He could walk in the garden. You know what I mean? Just as close physically as ever. But that relationship was absolutely severed. I want to read this. You know the Scripture from Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God. What has your iniquities? Does it just say murder, idolatry? Those would all be part of the iniquities. But the point is, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. Your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. He's a holy God and He's a just God. And so sin absolutely separates men from God. Sin is downplayed in our, in our life today, in the church world today. Sin is hardly mentioned. People don't preach about sin or against sin. Certainly don't call out specific sins and sinners. And, and uh, it's not like it's the joy of anyone's life. But, but that is a reality. That has to be preached because it is our sins that separate us from God. It's not your, your economic standard. You were born poor and you only had one parent or you grew up in an orphan home or you grew up and your legs didn't work and you grew up as a child you know, with uh, cerebral palsy. I'm not mocking any of this. That's not what separates a man from God. What separates a man from God is sin. And that sin has to be dealt with. It's dealt with only one way, not a multitude of ways. It's not where you just try being kinder. You know, you've been dealt a bad deck of cards in your life and God understands that. And so, no, it's not that. It's the preaching of the Gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because He came to save who? Sinners. If you're not a sinner, He didn't come to save you. I speak that kind of facetiously. Everyone's a sinner. But we need to understand that we're sinners and they need to be saved. Your sins have separated between you and your God that He will not hear. There's one answer to that though. Faith in Jesus Christ. Surrender to Him. Fall down at the foot of the cross. Give your life to Jesus. Let His cleansing blood and that fountain that still flows flow over your heart and wash you clean as a baby that you've never sinned clean as can be and your sin is dealt with. And you had to do nothing except trust in Him and mean it. Amen? And then tomorrow as a believer when I sin, I can call upon the Lord and He still, if I sin, He will forgive me when I call upon Him in faith. And so, the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world, Jesus was not an afterthought. The cross was not an afterthought. A lot of people think that it was almost like, uh, I forgot who said it and I read it on Easter Sunday, but uh, the cross and Calvary was not an ambulance, and I'm paraphrasing, rushing to the scene of, a, of an accident. And that's the way a lot of, oh no, messed up, Adam and Eve messed up, people need a Savior, whatever will I do? That's not what happened. God knew 
from the foundation of the world, He was going to have to give His Son. He was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He was actually slain 2,000 years ago, but in God's timing and His plan and wisdom, He was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And so, uh, through that, the Lamb that was slain, He came and paid the price. To do what? To, to wash our sins away? Yes. To deal with the sin problem and the sin question? Absolutely. No doubt about it. But He came to buy men back to Himself. He gave the illustration that a couple of weeks ago about faith works by love, about the, the man uh, the, buying the slave on the auction block. Paid the price, highest price that was ever paid, to buy that one slave who didn't know him, didn't care about him, spat in his face and said, I hate you. And he paid the price. And the Lord came to, to pay the price to reconcile men to Himself. Reconcile means reconcile. To reconcile fully. To change mutually. Sinful men, whosoever will, back unto God. He came to, who's, whosoever, who did He came to reconcile? He came to reconcile all men. Whoever will. He doesn't. A lot of people die and they won't. There are whosoever wills and whosoever wants. And it's not up to God. He's reaching out to all, trying to reach all. Some die in their sin. Some die, hallelujah, with Christ having borne our sin and washed it away and forgiven of our sin. But He wants all men to be saved. He came to reconcile men unto God. Listen to these two Scriptures. Wonderful Scriptures. If you're taking notes, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. I don't know how many times reconcile or reconciliation was mentioned, at least three times in two verses. What is he saying? It's not just forgiveness. Hallelujah. We're forgiven. It's a buying to himself a right relationship. Ultimately, that's what he wants. So you can not be saved here this morning and have this much of an intimacy with God when he wants this much intimacy with us and fellowship throughout our day, not just on Sundays, not just in church, not just when we have our devotional time and our prayer time, uh, but constantly that communion with the Lord. Another scripture, Colossians 1.21, and you that were sometimes alienated, so an enemies, enemies in your mind had nothing to do with physical distance. Alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. He brought us back. We can take no credit for it. Just like we sang, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Amen? Not simply to spare us from the torment of hell for, for all eternity. Not simply to allow us uh, one day to occupy His heaven in a mansion. Praise God that it is a reality for our believers. Both of those things. But that, he, that men, redeemed men would be with Him. Redeemed men would be with Him. And in Him with us. Amen? I want you to turn with me in your Bibles. We've got a couple more passages we're going to read. I want you to look at this in Mark chapter 3. In Mark's account, you know, this is very early on. And Jesus' public ministry has already spoken about um, things leading up to this. But let's pick up here in Mark 3, verses 14 and 15. Well, let's pick up verse 13. He goeth up into a mountain and called unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. 
So there, right there, even we're seeing it. We just might read through these words and not really think about it that much. He called twelve and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be, what? With him. And that he might send them forth to preach and have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Verse 14 to me, to me is very important. He ordained twelve. If I said to you why, we might think, well, he needed witnesses. He needed people to get disciple and train him and save and send out in his name. Yes, that's not false. But there was even something before that. He ordained 12 that they should be with him. He wanted people, these 12, to be with him. And I've always said, and I believe it with all my heart, I believe the ministry unto the Lord, service to God, however you serve the Lord, however He calls us to serve Him, that it will all flow out of our relationship with Him. It's going to flow out of my walk with God. What I would bring you from the pulpit up here has got to come, not from something I found online, it's got to come from my walk with the Lord and my relationship with God Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. And I'm going to cram and get ready for something on Saturday real quick and bring to the people. Oh, I've got to preach tomorrow. I need about a 45-minute or 50-minute sermon. Same for you in your lives. It's going to come from our relationship with God. He ordained 12 that they should be with Him. And, in the end of verse 14, that He might send them forth to preach. What are they going to preach? What are we going to preach if we're not with God? We can preach some other man's words. I can preach a Tozer book every day. I get up here. And I, and I might use some other books. But I can promise you, God's got to make it real in me before I ever do that. And same for you and your life. That's where it has to come from. He chose 12 and ordained them that they should be with Him. This is what the Old Testament. Remember we did several months back that series on the altar. I've just referred to it a little bit lately here. And he, when he was first talking about Moses building the tabernacle, there was no tabernacle before he gave the plans to Moses on the mountain. And then that they built it, right? The portable tabernacle that, uh, that they could movable, they could move from place to place. And he, let, and, he, and he says, and let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. We see that's God's heart. Let them make a tabernacle. He was always with them and around and the pillar of fire by night and the pillar of cloud by day. But he said, I'm going to have a meeting place. And above that altar where the, the, the cherubims were and the seat over the mercy seat. And he says, there will I meet with you. And that's why we spend so much time on our altar series. God wants to meet with us at the altar. This is symbolic. It's a piece of wood up here. Okay? Nothing magical about it. But it is symbolic. And it is in my heart when I go there. I'm coming to meet with God right here. Okay? There will I meet with you. And he says, build this tabernacle that I may dwell among them and with them. God, who, who would think that God wants to be with us? You know, I like animals, but I don't want to live with a bunch of animals. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I, I like fish, but I don't want to live with a bunch of fish. And to think that God wants to dwell with us. He wants to dwell with us. He's so superior. It's immeasurable. It's not even... It's, it's, it's incomparable. 
and yet He wants to be with us and He's telling us that from Genesis to Revelation. I want you to be with me. I want you to be with me. Your sin has separated you from me. But I want you to be with me. And now that you're with me, I want you to be with me more. Now that you're close to me, I want you to be closer to me. Now that you have a fellowship with me, I want you to have more fellowship with me. It's just amazing. And how can He fellowship with billions of people at the same time? Or how many are Christians? He's God. I'll leave that to Him. But I want you to uh, uh, look at another passage here. To me, this kind of says it all right here. In Revelation, and we're studying this in Sunday school, we're not this far yet, but Revelation 21, verses 2 and 3. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And He will dwell with them and they shall be His people. And God Himself shall be with them and be their God. It's almost like it climaxes in this right here. You know what I mean? All of God's dealings with men in history and all. It, it climaxes with that. And all of His merciful dealings with sinful men. And all of His mighty dealings with sinful men and with saved men that He's redeemed. And with all of creations and His dealings with the planet and creation. Judgments and dispensations and miracles and healings, conviction of sin, repentance, deliverance, salvation, revelations to show himself. It all climaxes in behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them and be their God, and they shall be his people. That's how it culminates. That's what he's after. That's his heart. That's where all the dust settles. That's what He wants. After the tribulation, after it's all over, when it's all said and done, that's what we're going to have. You know, the Bible tells us that, that David was a man after God's own heart, right? After his heart. And that's a wonderful thing. And that's a wonderful example. But I can promise you, before David was ever after God's heart, God was after David's heart. And you might be a man or woman, and I pray you are, after God's heart. But before you and I were ever after God and pursuing Him, He was after your heart. He wants it. He wants you. He wants us to be in a right standing with Him, in a right relationship with Him. It's, it's everything to the Lord. And everything that's done is to, to bring that. The cross, the resurrection, the witnesses at the tomb. Everything. The Bible, the Messianic prophecies, the prophecies about coming events, heaven, hell, a mansion prepared. It's all so that we'll have a walk with Him. There's going to be a time, y'all. Just think about it. And the Bible says there's coming a time when time will be no more. I think that's in Revelation 21 or 22. But there's coming a time when time will be no more. And it's what we would just call the eternity of eternities. It's future. Right now there's a clock and there's a calendar and there's BC and everything like that. And, and things are going to fall out on a, on a uh, timeline the way that God has them to fall out. But when that's over, and one day that will be over, God's not constrained by time. He's dealing with men in time, but He's not constrained by time. When every man's eternal state is set, people aren't getting saved or lost or anything like that anymore. When, when all God's righteous judgments are finished, there's a judgment for the nations. There's a judgment for believers. There's a judgment for the lost. There's different judgments. And all His righteous judgments are finished. When every just sentence from God is rendered, 
Depart from me, I never knew you. Or come in, blessed of the Lord. Whatever, when it's all said and done, when he'll say, let him that is filthy be filthy still. He says that. Let him that is holy be holy still. You're going to stay that way. You know what? You rejected my son. You're going to stay that way. When all of that is done, we're told in God's Word, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And He shall dwell with them and be their God. And they shall be His people. For those that are outside of Christ and they die outside of Christ, they never had to die outside of Christ, by the way. He's not willing that any perish. But there are men every day that are dropping off into to hell. They're going to spend eternity there. And they're going to hear they die outside of Christ. They had a Passover lamb. A Passover. They didn't accept Him. The death angel could have passed over through being in Christ. Right? They had a Passover lamb that was present, but they rejected Him. And they died in unbelief and they died in their sin. There's only two ways. I don't care who you are, whatever dispensation, whatever history on the planet of the earth, men, women, and children, only two ways that people have ever died in the sense that I'm talking about. They died in their sin or they died forgiven of their sin. There's only two ways. In their sin, where, okay, I'm going to pay the price for my own sin. Well, it's a price you can't really pay. You're going to bear it, and it's a torment. Or you're going to die having the Lamb of God forgiven you all of your sins and cleansed you from all unrighteousness and lifted the weight and the guilt and the shame and the power of sin from off your life, and you say, finally, I'm free, and there's liberty. That's one of two ways that all men will die. And those that die outside of Christ, they're going to hear something like this. And I'm going to read this to you. Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. You know that lake of fire was not actually even prepared in God's mind for men to ever go there. Heaven was prepared for, for men to go. You know, it's God's dwelling place. But I'm saying hell, the lake of fire, is prepared for the devil and his angels. But a lot of men are going to go there. He says that right there. And then there are people that, like us, no more, no better than someone that goes to hell, but saved, have given our life to Christ. We've trusted in Christ. And He is making us better. He's working in us, but all glory to God for that. And it says, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye. So now the big difference is from depart from me. Remember we're talking about God wanting to be with us? Depart from me, you curse in the everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. Then shall he say unto those in his right hand, Come ye, blessed of the Father, of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's what he's always had in mind. Men to be with him. He would be so happy if hell was empty. Okay? He takes no pleasure in sending men to hell. He says he has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He has pleasure in men repenting and giving their life to Christ. And I'm, I'm just going to close with this. But uh, the, the whole message of the gospel is come. Come ye, come ye, come ye. All that are thirst, come ye. All ye that labor and have heaven laden, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You know, a lot of times we think of Christianity as do's and don'ts and rules and i got to give up this if I'm going to follow God. That's, that's all a part of it, but that's really not 
the meat of the gospel. Or even a life with Christ. The, the meat of the gospel is God so loved the world He gave. And in giving that men would accept His gift by faith in Jesus, accept Christ as Lord and Savior, give their lives to Him. And He says, Come unto Me all you that labor and heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. And for the first time ever, you experience rest. Not a good night's sleep, okay? Not, oh, I'm through working in the yard, and I can take a cold shot, you know, cool off and go in and be through with my work. A rest. You'll find rest for your souls. Amen. Rest in your minds. Rest in your heart. We're not wrestling against sin like that anymore. Still can be tempted. But the point is, he's saying, come unto me. And do you can come up here. I just was closing with that. But the Lord wants us to be with him. Okay? In this life and in the life to come. And we know we'll be with him in heaven. But he wants us to be with him now. Be with him. Not only be saved, we're with him. But to really be with him. Okay? You and your spouse could be in the same hotel room on a vacation and hardly talk, or in home, in the same house and hardly speak. He wants us to be with Him. And I'm closing with this scripture. The altars are open. Dee's going to play it and sing. But David said this in Psalm 139. Uh, this is the same where he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. But here he says, How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God. There's an exclamation point when you're reading in the Bible because he's so excited. How precious are your thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. And then when he closes that scripture by saying, when I awake, I'm still with thee. Still with you. He was just so excited about the fact you go to sleep at night knowing to think the thoughts that God is thinking towards him are good thoughts, like Jeremiah said, thoughts of good and not evil, peace and not evil. But he says, and when I wake up in the morning, I'm still with you. It's just a wonderful thing, y'all. Y'all, and, and I just want us, and I know God would have us too, in the midst of our service to the Lord, in the midst of our devotional times and prayer times, in the midst of our church services and ushers picking up donuts and setting the signs up outside and all the different things that we do and raising your kids and praying with them and memorizing scriptures in all of it, seeing God's heart, He wants you to be with Him. And I could do all the things I just mentioned there and not really be communing with God. Or in the same tasks and the same daily things, I could be with the Lord. Let's just pray that God would draw us even closer into a, in a, a greater intimacy. I think we would have such, I know we would have such a peace and such a joy and such a happiness. We wouldn't be discontent about this, that, and the other. Things are going to be things. Circumstances are going to be circumstances. 99% are not going to be the way we want them to be. Okay? That's just life. And heaven is going to be perfect. Okay? But here, but we can all, when I'm awake, I'm still with thee. That excited David. Amen. He was a man after God's heart. So Father, we just come before You in Jesus' name. And God, You saw it way before I ever saw it. You knew it before I ever knew it. You had a heart for me way before I ever had a heart for You. But God, I thank You that it's in Your heart that all You've done and all Your plans and all Your preparations and all of Christ suffering on the cross and all the mocking and, and everything that went in place and the resurrection, all the prophets and the prophecies and the miracles and the healings and revelations and everything was, is, is that men might be with You. And God, one day, 
That's, that is going to be in a perf- such a perfected state. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And He shall be their God and they shall be His people. And Almighty God will dwell with them. And thank You, Lord, that You're dwelling with us now, God. Help us by faith to have that meeting place at the altar where we come and meet with God. And He says, I'll meet with you there. That altar is Christ. In all our series on the altar, Lord, we understood that the altar spoke of Christ. And we want to meet with you there. Not just at church on Sunday. I pray for your people. I pray for the children here. That they truly know God and they're born again. That they be baptized in the Holy Ghost, Lord. I pray for the children to have their own walk with you and follow hard after you despite their age. I pray for the oldest saint that's known you for many years that you would show them there's fresh manna of heaven today. And they can feast upon you today. Thank you, God, that that's your heart. Help us, God. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Amen.